Bitcoin. Welcome to another POW market update. My name is Anson Leonard. This is Bitcoin and Markets. This is not investment advice, people. Do your own research. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Lots and lots of news has been jam-packed into this last 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, and I'm going to go over it as much as I can. We have Ethereum news, we have uh, SEC news, I guess, we have Congress news, Petro news, um, what else am I going to hit here? Uh, G20 stuff, Bcash stuff, also a Zabo tweet. So I'm going to go through all of those in the news section, but let's start by talking about some market prices. Okay, so Bitstamp right now we have around 8,500. It's it's wavering um, slightly above, slightly below every couple minutes, and that makes one finny 85 cents. Um, the big the big point that I have for the actual price here and some of the moving averages, um, I tweeted out last night. If you guys are following BTC MRKTS on Twitter, I tweeted out last night about the the daily death cross coming, and that's the 50. And the 200 moving averages, simple moving averages, when they cross. Um, they haven't crossed since September 14th, 2015. I mean, I mean, they haven't had a death cross. The golden cross then is when it goes up the other way. Um, when the 50 gets above the 200. But the death cross hasn't happened since September 14th, 2015. And that marked basically the bottom. That happened right after... The, that last dump down to $180, okay? Um, and then I looked back in history before that, and on Bitstamp, I could only find two other death crosses. Both of them were in the down market uh, there in 14 and 15. Well, specifically in 14, like in September 14, and then April of 14, we had two death crosses. But that was, that's it in the history of Bitcoin that I could find at least on the, the Bitstamp chart. And that's what now, I guess, it's like the oldest exchange now is Bitstamp. It was BTCE until last year when they got taken down. Now it's it's Bitstamp as far as I know. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, yeah, so those are the two other <coughs> death cross or three other death crosses in, in the history of Bitcoin. And the very last one was bullish, or at least it, it's supposed to be negative, but that kind of marked the bottom. And we went up from there. So just interesting to note that. Um, I think that that death cross is going to offer quite a bit of resistance here. And if you take a look at the charts, we are at another double top. You have to go down to the four hour, I think, to see this double top that we're at. We are currently over the four hour 50 simple moving average, simply 50 period simple moving average uh, but we are at this kind of weird double top into resistance from a week ago on the 9th or two weeks ago on the 9th and the 10th so i mean there's there's lots of things that are going on here at this moment i'm i'm turning a little bit bearish i i think the bottom is in i don't think it's going to go below six thousand. i don't even think it's going to go below this 7200 that we hit the other day but it's 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 going to take a while to get through this resistance area. It looks like the death cross is going to happen around $9,200, $9,250. And 
man, would that be awesome if we just went right through that? That would be such, oh my God, that would be such a huge, huge sign of bullishness if we went right through the death cross on the daily. Oh my God, <laughs> that would bring back a lot of confidence to the market. But yeah, we, we are facing some resistance. I think we'll eventually go back up, um, you know, give us another week or two. But man, right now it just feels like there's a lot of resistance overhead and we, we've done a nice job building support right under this level. So right around 8,000. So maybe we fall to 8,000 and then go back up. I don't know. Um, it's a very weird sideways time right now. Um, long term though, this is a decent price, right? This is a good price to uh, start accumulating and uh, building a position for the next couple years. We will start another bull run and that will last probably a year or two. And so um, this is a good place to start accumulating if you haven't. The mayor multiple is at 0.92. And that is under one, obviously. We've only been below this about 20, 15 to 20% of the days. I tweeted out the other day at its lowest of point. Um, sorry, 0 0.81. And it had only been below that about you know, right around 10 to 12% of the days uh, in the history of Bitcoin. Anything below this 200-day moving average, I think, is a decent place to accumulate. And then when we start getting up there in the threes and the fours, multiple over the 200-day moving average, that's when you have to get worried. Now, just think of that, right? The price is 90 or the 200-day moving average, 91.50. Imagine if we had a multiple on that of three, that's $27,000 and we will get there. I mean, that's how Bitcoin works. Anyway, three month Bitcoin settle features on OKEx. They have a new contract, new quarterly contract that settles in June and that's trading at 85.14. So basically zero spread over the spot price on a futures contract that's over three months out. Um... The March contract, though, that this still, it's actually right now, it's their bi-weekly contract because how they work that is, you know, two weeks out from the expiration date, it rolls over into the, the two-week contract. And then at the one-week point, which will be this Friday, it'll become the one-week contract. And um, so anyway, that one's at $84.57. That is a discount of $50. So that's in backwardation. Um. The BitMEX features are also in backwardation, roughly the same. The March one is at 84.65, but the June contract on BitMEX is at 84.78, so it's even slightly in backwardation as well. Let's talk about CME futures because, you know, I did, did talk about these a lot on the last show, saying they just don't have a lot of volume out there, and it's the same story right now. The March contract, uh, which expires here, the last Friday of the month. So when will that be? Not this Friday, but next. The March contract will expire. It's sitting at 84.85, roughly, roughly at par with uh, the spot price. And there's only open interest on this contract of 1,251 contracts. So that's 6,000 Bitcoins, roughly. 6,000 Bitcoins of open interest in this nearest uh front month futures contract on the june contract for the cme 
which is selling at uh, 84.30. They had zero volume yesterday on this June contract. They do have contracts for every month, but I'm just looking at these the quarterly ones. The June June contract only has 98 contracts of open interest. 98. That's less than 500 bitcoins. And I know you can roll over these contracts or do some fancy finagling, but the total open interest on CME is 1,651 contracts. That's only 8,000 Bitcoins. 8,000 Bitcoins, open interest. And it's not even real Bitcoins, right? It's their, their cash settled futures, but that is not a lot. Okay. It actually has been going up slightly in the last week or so, but, um, yeah, that's just that's just not much of anything considering the volume is in the billions on these exchanges of real Bitcoin. Market cap for Bitcoin is $144 billion. That, of course, is way down from the peak. It's roughly, what would that be, 40% of the highest, uh, the all-time high for market cap. Bitcoin's market dominance is 100%. Now, this is kind of getting old for me to say this. It's only two weeks old, but Bitcoin's market dominance is always 100% until it's zero. It's a binary. Second place is the first loser. That's how it goes in a protocol race. Global Bitcoin market cap, that includes all the altcoins and scams out there, $327 billion, leading to a maximalist price. That's if you take the, the entire crypto or Bitcoin market cap, that includes all crypto. Uh, and divided by outstanding Bitcoins, you get 19,320. And this is the first time since the crash that this number has not been an all-time high. So, um, to me, that, that's significant. That is a significant marker. Uh, and there's lots of stuff going on in altcoins, and I'll get to that in the news section. U.S. dollar value transacted on-chain was 74 billion dollars in the last 24 hours that's worth a bitcoin obviously these numbers are a little bit different than what i had been using and so i'm still kind of getting used to them the average transaction value is forty thousand dollars and that's not including likely change okay so that's just raw output the average output on a transaction is forty thousand dollars what is that? That's a that's four between four and five X of the price. So we'll I'll be watching that over the next couple months and see where that kind of stabilizes. Um, my old numbers that I had been using when I was trying to estimate the change at, uh, the change amount, they uh, you know, I wanted to see one Bitcoin for the average transaction size. Um, and it was, you know, between 0.75 and one of a Bitcoin. And this one is m many multiples of a full Bitcoin. So we'll see if that steadies out at four, maybe 4x of a Bitcoin. But $40,000 is the average transaction value. Okay, the last one I have here is the network value to transaction ratio NVT is at 159. That's high. And one of the things here that, that I also will mention in a minute is that the the transact the number of transactions and the the size of the blocks is decreasing dramatically, uh, and the price seems to have found a floor here. So um, 
this this is going to affect this MVT, which I don't think there's much value in it. Um, I think there is some <sighs> on the charts it seems to have some value, but uh, to me this doesn't signify anything in particular. Maybe a moving average of this MVT would be more um, beneficial. Okay, security. Difficulty did just increase by 5% again back on the 18th, so two days ago. And right away we were estimating in the next difficulty change, the hash rate was already ahead uh, at 3.5%. That's where we're sitting right now. But over the last about four hours we've had a we have had a little decline in the hash rate, so it's I can see maybe an estimated difficulty change of around anywhere between zero and five percent, which is healthy. Okay, you would expect it to kind of flatline a little bit here because the price is flatlining, and this is a lagging indicator, so maybe it has now caught up with the price. When was the price eight thousand? Let me see. So last year the price crossed this mark on November 25th. How many months is that? Three full months, almost four full months. And perhaps the hash rate is four months behind, right? Because you, d I know you do have to order those the mining equipment and it takes several months to get to you. So that would make sense that the hash rate is roughly four months behind. I did estimate the cost because there was a story, there was an article, I'll try to find it and include it in the show notes here, but um, there's an article in December right around the all-time high in price that estimated the cost to mine a Bitcoin by state in the United States. Um, the average was around 4000 and the price at the time of the publishing of the article was around $17,000. Um, so, you know, it's hugely, <laughs> hugely profitable to be mining at that time. But since then, the hash rate has doubled. The difficulty has doubled, almost, almost doubled. So the cost... Didn't double necessarily, but I think it's about six thousand, between six and seven thousand dollars, on average, to mine a Bitcoin in the United States, and that'll obviously vary with jurisdiction, like Canada and maybe Russia or Iceland, uh, maybe China. It's a little bit cheaper to mine, uh, you know, someplace where they have cheaper energy. But I would say worldwide, the average is probably around five thousand dollars to mine a Bitcoin. <coughs> Fees. Mempool is less than a megabyte, so you can get basically free transactions through. Less, approximately one Satoshi per byte is enough. Um, there's nothing really significant to report on the mempool specifically, but uh, on the size of the blocks, we've had an average size block over the last 24 hours is 515 kilobytes. That's tiny, half full. We have had several blocks that are way over a megabyte, one that was approximately two megabytes in size during the last 24 hours. Uh, so what explains this? Well, those bigger blocks explain it a little bit, but also, you know, people, uh, when we had these huge fees, people started instituting new things like batching and in, uh, better input selection and things like that, which drive down the price. Plus we have the SegWit on top, so we can take a lot of that overflow right away out of the mempool. You can see these best practices along with a little bit extra space really has given us a lot more room and i love it because it destroys that narrative of bitcoin being unusable i mean what are they going to say now right 
<laughs> because all these attackers of Bitcoin have been saying for a long time, oh, we can't use Bitcoin for daily transactions. We can't use Bitcoin. It's too expensive, right? The fees are too expensive. Well, now, I mean, it's basically free. There's many points where the fees are lower than Bcash. Uh, and on fork.lol, they have this moving average. So you can look at the average uh, fees over the last um, three hours, six hours, 24 hours, things like that. And there's multiple times when you can, the, the average fee over the last 24 hours for Bitcoin is below Bcash. How is that freaking possible? The average number of transactions per block for Bcash is roughly 100, 100 transactions per block. Bitcoin is over 10 times that amount. It was over 2,000 at one point. Now it's roughly, you know, 1,500 or so, I think. Where, what's their narrative, right? Their narrative is gone. They, they shot themselves in the foot by spamming <laughs> because it got too expensive. There's a lot of stuff going on with Bcash uh, that I'll talk about too. Okay, development. Bitcoin merged pull requests. We have 39 merged pull requests in the last seven days and 22 closed issues. Bitcoin development never stops. Everybody says Bitcoin is stagnant. It's not. It's the most cutting edge uh, crypto out there. We have so much work happening uh, behind the scenes. Lots of academic work going on with Bitcoin. Um, and sometimes the academic work doesn't pay dividends for years because there was recently a merge that happened from a two and a half year old paper, right? Where these people have been working on, I think it was an eclipse attack prevention or something where you can, like the nodes, eclipse attack is where all your connections are attackers from your node. So your node can be uh, cut off from the network and only connect to malicious nodes. Um, to prevent that, there's different techniques out there, but, um, you know, there's multiple fixes. One or two fixes got put in roughly a year to two years ago. And uh, this third fix had from that same paper took this long to get in, but it's now in and merged into uh, Bitcoin core at this time. So a lot of this stuff is happening behind the scenes and it takes a long time. It's cutting edge. I mean, this stuff is not going to get merged until it is peer reviewed by multiple people, by the leading cryptographers and distributed system experts in the world work on Bitcoin. And when they, when they're done peer reviewing it, then it gets in. I mean, that's just common sense to me, right? The, their consensus on the network is different than consensus in development. This gets into the governance thing, but consensus in development is lack of sustained resistance. Okay. Or lack of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? lack of sustained opposition. So if you have a problem with something, you bring up a logical point, it needs to get addressed. If it's not addressed, then it will die. Okay, the, the BIP or the update will die. Um, if it does get addressed, then it's been addressed and it moves on and it gets peer reviewed again. And Maybe someone else brings up another concern, right? And that gets addressed or doesn't and so on and so forth. So the, until you get to a point where nobody's bringing up any objections anymore, at least any objections that haven't been uh, addressed to the satisfaction of a majority of people, then uh, that's when you, you reach consensus. And it's a very, very high bar. 
And that's just on the development side. Once it passes the development uh, process, then it goes on to the nodes. So then the network has to decide if they want to run it or not. And there's no, the developers don't tell us what to run, right? The nodes will just decide for themselves. So there's multiple stages, multiple steps to go through. And uh, yeah, it's a very high bar. And a lot of people will cry about their update not getting into Bitcoin and these people not looking at it. Well, guess what? They got other shit to do. And maybe they raised an objection and it hasn't been addressed. So they drop it. Maybe the way you addressed the criticism was not sufficient. So you have to go back to the drawing board. And if you are honest and if you are hardworking and you really want to get this fixed and figured out and, and updated, you can do it. It's going to take a long time, but you can do it. All right. Lightning Network has fewer nodes right now. So last time I talked about this, it was like over 900 nodes. We're down to 865 nodes, but the number of channels has gone up. We're at 1,839 open channels. This is mainnet and a, compa a capacity of 4.6 Bitcoins. So the average nodes or sorry, average channels per node is 2.1. And this is good. This is what I want to see personally is between two and three. More is better, obviously. So if each node averaged three channels, that would be awesome. Okay. So that's, that's all that stuff. Let's talk about Google trends here real fast. We are at in the last, um, 12 months, the high is, on Google trends is a 100 ranking and we are at 20. We dipped down there to 18 and now we're coming back up slightly, but it has been steady over the last three weeks, 18, 19, 20 or so. Um, on the 30 day chart, we have a higher high over the last week compared to prior weeks of interest on Bitcoin um, according to Google Trends and that's just a search term of Bitcoin so perhaps we're looking at a turnaround Okay, the Gox coins. I linked to a list of the addresses that we know are associated with Gox last time. I linked to it again this time. There's still this market overhang of this this got these Gox coins. I don't think it's like necessarily conscious, but I think subconsciously that's subconsciously that's going to be like a second or third reason that people talk about um, for the suppressed price here. So uh, I do think there's still this overhang in the market and there's been no movement. I saw a little bit of rumor that 3000 coins had moved, but uh, you can't see that from these addresses. Bcash. Oh my gosh. This was crazy. I linked to a couple of this, these discussions here um, or one discussion on Twitter and then to a wallet uh, a link to an address where you can see this one address on Bcash owns 440,000 Bcash one address. That, that's, that's ridiculous. People have said it's Bitmain and I believe it. I believe it. It's a, they, they've been mining and not selling, right? 
Um, there's another address that has 88,000. And I've talked about this before on the show that there was two big wallets or two big addresses that had, they had been mining, getting all these rewards and, and not spending them or cashing out or anything. They just been accumulating in these wallets. So that one got up to, I think, 88,000 B cash, but then they stopped accumulating. And I don't know if maybe they turned off a bunch of their hash rate that was going towards that wallet and the other wallet is still accumulating. I haven't looked at that, but that would be, uh, I can see that happening. Um, but this wallet specifically, I, people are saying it's a, a Bitmain owned wallet with 440,000 Bcash. And it was accumulating until around middle of February when it stopped accumulating. And I don't know what's going on. It's very interesting. Perhaps that was marked, you know, the end of the big pump of Bcash. And now they've, the billionaire backers of Bcash have turned around and are starting to sell slowly. I don't know. But if you look at the dollar price of Bcash, it's below a thousand. It's had a really bad go of it. Um, let me zoom out here. So it hit a US dollar value. It hit a high of 4,100. And now it's down below a thousand. And where Bitcoin looks like it might have bottomed here and turned around, Bcash looks like a traditional altcoin chart where it just trails off to towards zero. And we can see that. I can see that happening, especially with this big wallet. And if they have stopped accumulating and they're starting to dump, then that's going to add a lot of pressure to the market. Um, let's look at the Bcash to Bitcoin price. They had that one spike high on Coinbase, the Coinbase time, that went up to half of a Bitcoin. Um, the next high was at 0.25 of a Bitcoin, and that got to a scary, po a scary point, right? A lot of people were talking about a flipping of Bcash and Bitcoin, but again, we've seen a trail off now. We're, they've been able to hold it around 11% of the Bitcoin price, but uh, it, it's it's going to continue down, in my opinion. Uh, there's there's this this whole 440,000 wallet that's sitting over the price of Bcash is similar to the Mt. Gox uh, coins sitting, you know, hanging over the market. So I don't think Bcash will be able to uh, pump or go up in value necessarily too much since we have this uh, overhang. And I talked to some, I talked to a couple of friends that had been holding off on cashing out their Bcash and they said that they have now liquidated all of their Bcash. So there's not really much uh, holding going on. And yeah, I, the, the future is just very, very dark. Okay, talking about large wallets, <laughs> EOS is moving Ethereum, all right? EOS is supposed to be this Ethereum killer, and they have a leg up because they own a lot of Ethereum from their pre-sale, and they have been cashing it out in regular chunks, I think, uh, but they have started moving major amounts of Ethereum, so that is pushing down the price, and I linked to Whale Panda. Uh, thread in the show notes there um, of course eos all the altcoin complex is dying i mean a lot of things are green over the last day just because bitcoin has gone up a lot of the other altcoins have gone up eos has actually jumped up 22 percent yesterday um, a lot of illiquid coins are jumping up um, but for the most part these co the 
the altcoin massacre went twice as deep as Bitcoin's. And so they're going to jump a little bit here in value. Um, but it's become more and more evident that these altcoins are in big trouble, especially Ethereum because of the ICO crackdown. Let's talk about the G20. So there's all this, this kind of scare building over the last week or so because people knew the G20 was going to be talking about cryptocurrency. Um, but then this Mark Carney, I think his first name is Mark, Mark Carney, he's the head of the Bank of England. He put out a letter right before this G20, and um, he said that they Bitcoin and crypto, they're not a systemic threat to the financial system. They're still less than 1% of the global uh, GDP. But remember, in the next bubble, I can see this getting up to 10% of global GDP, the market cap for Bitcoin. If it has another 20x run, you know, this it's going to be it's going to turn a lot of heads and that's when they're going to really start seeing it as a systemic threat. Uh, but it's interesting. Also, G20, I always thought that they couldn't regulate or they couldn't say anything about Bitcoin. They don't regulate. They put out policies that these countries are supposed to abide by and things by treaty. Um, but Japan is going to be the chair of the G20 in 2019. And if they don't address it now, right, they're not going to address it with Japan being the head in, in 2019. And by that time, Bitcoin might be, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. And then it's pretty late to the game. People, all these regulators will own Bitcoin and they won't want to crack down on it very much. Um, but the G20 really can't do anything. But it's interesting to see a lot of these um, international bodies start talking about this. They're moving up the chain to these international bodies and they're going to start trying to um, regulate that way. We have several other things here in this same vein. The U.S. Congress looks favorably on Bitcoin. So they released some joint report uh, on page. I linked to it or I linked to the article, which has a link to the report in it in the show notes. Um, on page 201 is where the Bitcoin stuff starts. They do a really good job, I think, of explaining blockchain in layman's terms, explaining Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining and all those things. Um, and they talk about ICOs. Um, they're really harsh on ICOs and they're kind of positive on Bitcoin. They're not, they're not super positive or anything, but, uh, they're much more negative on ICOs and call them, um, you know, the den of thieves and scammers that they are. So yeah, that was good to see, I guess, uh, out of the U S Congress. But, uh, again, I really don't care what they say. I really don't. It just like I put out a tweet the other, I put out a tweet yesterday about Trump and how he's the same as other past presidents and yada, yada. And writing that tweet, I probably shouldn't have sent it, you know, um, because I don't really want to get into the whole political thing, but I really don't care. I really, it doesn't, once you know Bitcoin, once you understand Bitcoin, you stop caring about this stuff because Bitcoin will change the world. Like, uh, Wei Dai said in Be Money that it'll make, it will not only make government unnecessary, but it will make it permanently forbidden. If this cryptography and, and um, cryptocurrency overtakes the world. So I really don't care what they do. I mean, yeah, it's going to affect the price. You have to understand what's going on that affects the price. But um, overall, long term, we're talking, you know, five to ten years down the road. It does not matter what they do. Bitcoin cannot be stopped. It will continue to grow. 
It is a life form. It will consume what it needs to consume to grow. And it's just a beautiful thing. And this pulls me into my last topic. Nick Zabo's tweet from the other day where he talks about that um, cryptography makes defense cheaper than offense. So think about this. In the, the history of the world, offense has always been fairly cheap. Governments have existed on that principle that your personal defense is more expensive than them coming in and taking your money, either whether it be taxes or whatever. It's cheapest to build this fantasy of representative government or democracy, right? That, that's the fantasy that they're building. It's cheaper to do that. In the old days with kings and things, it was cheaper for them just to say that we rule by the consent of God. We are divine kings. And what we do is God's action on earth. Give us your money, right? That's, that's, and then if they have some swordsmen there, it's going to be much, it's very cheap for them to take your money from you. Uh, but with cryptography and with Bitcoin, defense becomes cheaper than offense. I mean, you can still, violence is still going to be possible because people will try to do the $5 wrench attack. You buy a wrench for $5, you hit somebody with it. Um, but overall defense is cheaper now than offense. And that is gigantic. It is absolutely revolutionary in the history of the world. I was trying to think of other times that this has happened. The only other time I can think that this happened was with um, guns, right? When gunpowder was introduced and especially handguns, because uh, if you carry around a handgun, it's pretty cheap to defend yourself. And the, uh, the person is, you know, risking a lot. They're risking their life on the offensive side to attack you. So a gun makes physical defense just as cheap or cheaper than physical offense. And cryptography makes overall like money defense cheaper than offense. I mean, it's revolutionary how, what, what happened when the gun came in, you know, we had, uh, the Renaissance, <laughs> the gun, gun was introduced to Europe, I think around 13, 1400, 14th century sometime. And, um, uh, that's when we saw the Renaissance happen. That's when we saw the end of feudalism, the end of the middle ages into a more modern era. And Bitcoin is going to be the same sort of thing. We're going to see a Renaissance because defense becomes cheaper than offense. Anyway, I just thought that was super, super interesting. And that is a concept that people need to understand to grasp the power of what's happening here. This is not just a new asset class. This is a new asset class that makes you sovereign. Defunding these people is the only way for change. They will not reform themselves. So you need to defund them by owning some Bitcoin. That's all I have for today, guys. Everything is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to my donation page at bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash donate. You can donate Bitcoin, Litecoin, or via PayPal if you don't want to spend your Bitcoin. Thank you for everyone who has donated. You can also support me monthly on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. I'm going to be releasing some more stuff very soon on there. And, um, you know, I've recorded another episode for Patreon. I just got to get it going and get it released. But, uh, yeah, uh, thank you to all my supporters. You guys are the best. You guys are the 
the tip of the spear on understanding these fundamentals and understanding what's going on here in Bitcoin. So thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Peace.